Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playing and slaying. Greetings and salutations, listeners. Live from the BRD studio, it is playing and slaying. I am Ty, the Golden Voice, here with me tonight. Josh, the Truebeard. And Troy, Bodfather. So good, Josh. Don't question it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we have a great episode tonight. Um, We will go through what we've been playing, buying, and building, a.k.a. hobbying. Hobbying can be something that we do a lot of. We'll see if tonight we have a lot on the hobby table. Um, We're also going to do a bit of a uh, Nexus Game Fair preview. We interview Chris Hoffner. Um, Pretty good uh, good chat with Chris. Excited about that to share that with everyone. Um, We then will go through some general questions about some new gaming topics and news uh kind of a bit of a roundtable discussion about a few topics um also don't forget we will do our usual play it or slay it segment we have a interesting and unique uh game we'll leave it at that it is a game tonight um and then we also will do a brief reveal to the winner of our first and probably only ever contest <laughs> <laughs> for Anvilate Games uh, action pack card game um, Frontline No Comrades. So, without any further rambling on my part, let's uh, let's jump right into the show. Well, gentlemen, when you're playing and slaying, it's important to stay hydrated. So, uh, what are we drinking, gentlemen, Troy? Um, I have a beer. <laughs> Believe <laughs> it or not. looking at his beverage. Yeah, I think it's a beer. Um, it's Walloon Wheat Beer, a Belgian-style um, brew. A beer brewed with spices is what it says. But uh, Badger State Brewing, I think they're in Green Bay. Um, I was up in Door County again, and I picked this up. looked interesting. Um, I pretty much finished it. So I mean, uh, I'll have to say it was pretty good. It's, it's a tall boy. For a good, I mean, it's right in my wheelhouse. So Belgian, wit, that's a good right there. Sounds good as we head into the almost summer months. Mm-hmm. A good uh, a good beer. For and Badger State Brewing, spring. I think I said that. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yes, you know, double check. Yep. So it's kind of, it's amazing. There's a lot of new breweries around Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that before it was like hinterland and a few, but now there's, you oh, know, there's probably, you, seen, um, spe- you speak of hinterland. Have you seen their new setup? Mm-mm. They opened up a big new brew pub and brewery right by 
where Lambo is doing all of that um, the renovation title yep. town district. Yep. It looks incredible. Like it just just awesome. I, I can't wait to get up there and um sit in the brew pub for an afternoon. Yeah, I saw it like early on in their build process and it looked pretty cool. Like just even the early stages I was like, Oh, this is gonna be awesome. So yep. road trip. Yep, road exactly. Trip. Yep. Maybe a uh a, a game day brewery tour podcast mm-hmm. collaboration. I like it. Cool. Tyson, what are you drinking? Uh, So I started the night with a uh, pint of Guinness and a large shot of Johnny Walker Black Label just to prime the engines. Fantastic. I wanted to sip it, but Josh was like, you should not sip it. So I didn't sip it. (laughs) I ripped it. We both uh, did a shot of Johnny Walker, and I am drinking a... um, uh, Hopzar. I was struggling for the name. Hopzar by uh, Bridgeport Brewing Company out of Brooklyn. Uh, nope. New York. Other coast. San oh, Francisco. Really? Oh, I did I, it. I was going to get the wrong coast again. <laughs> I was going to guess the East Coast too. Portland, Oregon. So. Oh, Portland. Yeah. yeah. They're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty good. It's good beer. Um, yeah. It's good, not great. It's it's IPA. It is an IPA. It is, uh, what do they say here? Um, it's dry hopped uh, with citra, I believe. Yeah, citra hops. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's It's got uh, a lot of the flavors you expect out of an IPA. So it's good it's stuff. It's a Wisconsin Wonderful. beer, that's why. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. right. The only beer that should be drank is Wisconsin beer. Says the Guin- the guy drinking Guinness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just promoting my state. Everybody's a little Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, so from it's things me. that don't make any sense <laughs> to uh, things that make a lot of sense, what have we been playing, guys? We've been we've been doing a fair amount of gaming. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, it's been it's been productive. I know um, we all got together with uh, a few others, um, the brothers. Tom for me and John for Troy. Yep. And sat down and played um, Terraforming Mars from Stronghold Games. That was all the rage post Gen Con and uh, became available again. It was really hard to get for yep. a while, so I picked it up off Amazon and brought it over. Um, it's it's fun. It was uh, it was a good time. Played well with five five players. We each kind of built our engine and then it was off to the races to make Mars great again. Yeah, I really like that style of game where you're trying to build an engine. You know, it kind of speaks to me. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun, um, you know, trying to move the different dials, you know, move the temperature up and the oxygen up on the planet and all that sort of fun stuff. Is it, It's it's cool. It's, uh, it's an interesting game. It's a fun take on that style of game. Yeah, I mean, it's a Euro. I mean, it's a heavy Euro. Right. Um, and so that's usually not in my wheelhouse. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, I think the it, the theme is what is gets me to the table there. I mean, I would not go into a a heavy euro like that unless it had a theme that was that was useful, you know, <laughs> or kind of exciting uh, to go. So I I think it was good. There's a lot. Of, there's a little bit of of you know point salad stuff going on um, with the engine building. So I mean, I can see why people really like it. I mean, it's I'll, I'll play it again. I'm probably not going to own it, but. Um, yeah, it was good. It it, it uh, kind of lived up to expectations. 
from from what I had I, for as much hype as it had, right? I mean, I think it was good that I, we played it a little after the the hype pump, you know, because <laughs> I think I would have been disappointed, kind of like right out of Gen Con, because people were like, "Great, right, it, it was walking on water, right? It was a game that nobody, no, you know, could do no yeah. wrong." But in the end, it's just a really good Euro, cool theme, and, fun and, to play, you know. It, yeah, and it it's a it's a Euro in a disguise, though, because the you're not denying actions from other players it's all hand um kind of that every round there's that card draft because ultimately you're purchasing card drafting from what you draw right um and, and different you know different plays available so yeah there's there's actions you're choosing but it's not really my action is going to interfere with troy's action so there's some euro concepts but it mm-hmm. wears that disguise of a, a good strategy board game yeah, and it has a. I mean, the cards are probably the randomness that probably true Euro fans would probably find annoying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what makes it a little more fun, right? Is that the the cards and what cards you get really make a difference. And I think, but I can see where there's a lot of strategy there because you don't know what cards you're getting. You really got to figure out how do I make it work with the cards that I that yeah. I have, right? And, and, and there's a cool element of of theme and story too. The way the corporations alter the mm-hmm. way you play. Mm-hmm. Um, we each had. A corporation that really founded the the identity for what we were trying to do. So, I was the mining guild, and it made sense for me to look for the the steel resources and make buildings and preserve the Martian landscape. Um, and then I it, forget one. Tom, of you guys Tom and I both had uh, companies that started with a lot of money, so we were able to kind of start early and, and buy a lot of things early. And and um, but yeah, we didn't have a lot of bonuses to things like, you know, like the mining guild where they got bonuses to, um, having steel or I forget what your bonus exactly was, but it was, yeah, essentially, yeah, you're, you're gaining extra points for, for that type of thing. So yeah, it was good. And again, I think a good, you know, tell on whether the game's enjoyable is I don't even remember who won. I just, you know, <laughs> in the end of the game, I think you, cause a lot of it is like, you're competing more with yourself. Like, could I build a good engine? Could I feel like I was succeeding where you do and at the end you're like all right did i do better than somebody else yeah, yeah it's and, good but in the end i still had fun just the journey right it's not the destination yeah. but the journey and it was it was cool too because five guys that had really never played more than a turn or two as a demo mm-hmm. a few of us um we all ended up relatively close it was kind of a cascading all within a few points of, mm-hmm. of one another at the end right mm-hmm. um good game yeah i'll play it again glad i own it unlike troy says he'll mm-hmm. play it again but won't own it won't own it nope <laughs> Um, myself and my brother, Tom, we, we also recently played in a one day, three round, uh, tournament age of Sigmar at our local games workshop store. Um, 14 guys. So we had seven tables uh, out of the nine in the store, um, full for the tournament. The other two had other stuff going on and it was a really unique, um, Brendan, one of, one of the guys at hobby bear on Twitter, he's a local guy that I've met through the store and through some of the tournaments, put it together. It was a progressive vanguard. So you brought 2,000 points of stuff. You played in 1,000-point games. But as things died, you crossed it off your army list, and you couldn't use them in further games. And then you had to pay a tax if you couldn't field a legal army. Um, and then by game three, I had 560 points left <laughs> and went up against 1,000 points in Nurgle and won, which was pretty That's cool. That's crazy. Um but it was it was fun. It was a good scene. Some really good guys in that shop. Um, looking forward to playing more in there. Um, would have been nice to see some more Basement of Death representation. But 
I'll keep harassing you guys. To... <laughs> I really wanted to go to that too. I was, uh, I kind of had the bug from watching you and Tom play at uh, Adepticon, and it just didn't work out on my schedule. Otherwise, I definitely would have been there. Um, more, more Age of Sigmar has been going on. Big surprise. Um, <laughs> Tom and myself the other day got a pair of uh, Hinterlands, which is the fan-created skirmish-style um, game with warbands, and each model acts independently with a, a cool campaign. You level up your guys and advance as you're in experience, and gold, you can purchase new new things to add to your warband. I think we talked about it briefly, um, yeah. but uh, Josh had played with us a few times, so... Um, it'll be fun to get a few more games in and see how the war bands grow. Yeah, I still I have it. I skimmed it, but I haven't dug in on the rules yet. Um, but yeah, it's, I think I'll I'll get in there it's, at it's some point. Really so. accessible, and we we played two games in less than two hours. I mean, they play very quick, right? right. Um, so that was that was really good. And then uh, I'll stop dominating the plan. I do a lot of it, but we did get back in the saddle with um, our Dungeons and Dragons game on roll 20. Added a new player, a uh, friend of the show, Paul. Yeah. Joined yep. in. So it's awesome to mm-hmm. add. Uh, and it, it was a seamless add, too. Like, you know, we were heading back to a. Uh, were we going to Waterdeep, I think? Yep. Um, and yeah, Paul happened to be there um, traveling from. Uh, I forget where he's from, but far off lands to the east. Yeah, right. And yeah, I just kind of ran into him and he started traveling with us. And yeah, I, I just a lot of fun. I'm having a blast with that. You guys survived a pretty epic combat. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a little touch and go. We did some, there were some guys doing some work. I think I found the secret to keeping you guys penned up, and it's a lot of spells. <laughs> Magic everywhere. Yeah. Fireballs hold person on the warrior and the fighter. Mm-hmm. We'll have to find a solution for that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's almost like these cultists are sending notes. Like they know <laughs> they know what's coming. What these guys are doing. And they're they're enhancing their fighting styles to better be prepared to uh take you down. <laughs> well speaking of Paul, uh Ty you you have your mage game with Paul and Tom and the crew. Yeah, yeah. Things are getting crazy in dark Milwaukee. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, recently Tom's character broke up with Lucifer. They parted ways. Um, and that is, were they dating? Uh, it was more like an agreement had been made. Okay. All right. You know, and a weapon was being used and then he, uh, he, he caved to the pressure of those of us that were saying Lucifer is inherently evil. And he said, evil is not, it's subjective. So there was a philosophical (laughs) argument that was had. He opted to part ways. And the fallout has been terrible for the group. I bet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, piss off Lucifer and all hell breaks loose. Literally. So we're having a lot of fun, playing a lot, trying the... It's been not weekly, but just about. We're we're getting in a lot of yeah. game sessions, which is awesome. The more of that. And we do these kind of marathon sessions. We play from 6 at night till sometimes it's 2, 2.30 in the morning. It's just <laughs> crazy. It's just awesome. <laughs> Um, the way that role-playing games should be played. So then we do our D&D sessions, and I'm like, oh, what do I cram into, like, two solid hours of two and a half hours? But, um, Troy, you, other than role-playing games with me, have been dabbling in some other games. 
Yeah, I haven't had the like the long stretches, so I have a lot of smaller games. So um, a small game I picked up on Kickstarter, which is kind of a, and I'll I think we're going to talk about this later. This might be our play it or slay it segment. Um, is just a little game called Iris. It's a little cooperative game. Um, I got off Kickstarter. You basically are. Um, there's a bunch of clones that are on planets, and ba- and they're not really happy that they're clones. And so you're just kind of managing the clones is kind of the goal. And it's a cooperative game. You work together to try and not have the people die. And we'll go into that a little bit deeper. Uh, and part of it is I think I want to talk about the success of that Kickstarter because it was really kind of maybe a, you know, a template for maybe how Kickstarter should kind of be run. So so that um, picked up that and got that and played that uh, once or twice, played it at work, and I think I showed it to you guys too. Um, then on Tabletop Day, we actually got uh, I got to play Santorini. Um, with uh, John and uh, my niece and nephew. Um, and that was really good. I mean, you guys had played it and heard some good things. The board is really, I think what's really fun again for the, the younger younger kids we played with is that the board, right? The board and building the cities and the people. It looks fun. Looks fun, right. Yeah. And they were in, and the rules again are super simple, but there's a lot of tactics really quick. And we didn't go deep and use a lot of the God cards. We just probably played really, you know, the kind of the straight game yeah. um, to do that. So that was fun. And I, yeah, I'm glad I have the guy I picked that up because I think they'll they'll hit the table every once in a while. Um, and then another one of these kind of smaller Kickstarters I grabbed, uh, Herbaceous, is just the tiny um, Kickstarter game that I basically saw. It's all about planting. It's all about gardening. Oh. I bought it for <laughs> my I bought it for my wife for her birthday. Basically, I'm I sure saw she this loved and, that. and she yeah she hated it. <laughs> um, but she's totally I've like been there. Yeah, she's totally like, why did you buy this game for you and say it was for me? <laughs> um, but I got this to the table, and again, it's it's actually a really much of a a gateway kind of game. It's it's kind it's set collection, um, and you basically are getting herbs, um, and then you have different pots that you have, and the you either have to have you and it's all about different set collections. Either I have to get all of one type to pot in one kind of put in one kind of pot. I have to get pairs of ones to put in another pot. <laughs> so real simple rules. I kind of taught it to a bunch of. It was all non gamers except me. I did it. We played around. So I, again, it I, it was a nice little small Kickstarter. Got done fast. I think it's you see this a little bit. I think with these card based ones that guys can pretty quickly flip it over and, and get it out. So um, so yeah, worth the money. Uh, maybe I'll actually get my wife to play it. Probably not. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. That's my gateway game for her. So I'll tell you, the key is get the kids playing the games. So yep. Once the kids yeah. are in, your spouse can't say no. It's like, Mom, come play the game. Right. So yep. I'm finding that. So my daughter is, is six, and yeah, we're starting to kind of get into playing a little bit more you know, real games, you know, not just Candyland type stuff. And, um, yeah, getting, drawing her in with the kids there playing is, is helpful for sure. Yeah. And we had a really good, I kind of talked about Santorini. We had a really good kind of that tabletop day. We, John came over with the kids and we did just do a whole bunch of different family games and kind of the middle of the road stuff, but it was fun with everybody to, to get through there. That's yeah, cool. It was, it was funny that Tabletop Day was the same day of the GW tournament and then yep. Mage Games. So Tom and I started <laughs> playing games at 11.30 and finished at 3 in the morning. Yeah. Um, that, that's solid. That's yeah, a it good was, day. It was just a solid day. Three games of Sigmar and an eight-hour RPG session. That'll work. Cool. And then uh, the last thing I've been doing is still playing some Star Wars Destiny, thanks to Neil from work. Neil from work. Um, Neil, I... I gotta thank him. He basically will build the deck, and he's just look for, look for people <laughs> to play. And I'm like, sure, I'll play. Um, 
and the funny thing is, I actually, I actually won. I don't beat him very often, but I actually won because um, I think the deck he made was really super. Because I've actually, I played another guy at work because we actually have a, they have a little. We've tried to do a little bit of lunch, kind of lunch league, um, with a few guys that play at work, which is good. So, so I won the week before against somebody else, and I kind of felt bad because I stomped him. And then I played Neil last week, and uh, I was able to beat him, which doesn't happen very often. And I'm like. I think it's this deck. I don't think that. <laughs> that's why I told the other guy too. I said I just beat Neil with that deck, so don't I don't don't feel bad that I beat you the other week as bad as I did because I don't I don't think it was me at all. So, um, but so I, again, I like that game. It's got some legs. It's it, I, I think it's fun in basically how I'm playing it, which means I'm not investing a lot. I don't have to do a lot of the meta research to figure out what's the best decks. Neil does all that and. Um, I just have to kind of know, be familiar enough with the cards and some of the strategy, right, to, to get there. So that's cool. And it's, I, I mean, I never, I mean, I played some magic, but it is interesting how the dice just give you this little bit of randomness um, or a lot of randomness and and a little different, um, you know, spin on the strategy to get there. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting with the new set that just came out on uh, a week or so ago. Um, is Fantasy Flight? Are they as good as Wizards of the Coast in terms of being able to scale and balance uh, a collectible game? Because I, I don't know. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, that would be my <laughs> prediction is I'd, none, none they have smart living, people, but... But none yeah. of their living card games have been able to progress long enough where the yeah. future sets are as good. Netrunners struggled. Like, they haven't demonstrated it yet, so maybe yep. this is yep. where they do it, but jury's still out on can they sustain right and that's why it'll be interesting with this new set how that does so yeah it'll, we'll revisit it we'll see where we end up in uh christmas time whenever they probably went because they'll probably have another set out i would guess before the end of the year i don't know we'll see right but that's destiny cool, cool. a lot of plan um josh did you at level 60 yet in world of warcraft mm-hmm. no 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 close um, fifty something. Okay, I mean that's plan. I just wanted to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ty, Ty, and Tommy get me baited into this uh, free World of Warcraft server, and then they he, they bail, and I'm, I'm still flavor uh, of the month. Yeah, I'm still sucked in. Yeah. So speaking of computer games, though, I' trying to. I'll come back and report. But um, Tabletop Simulator was on sale for Steam a week or so ago, so I picked that up. Okay. And I started doing some experiments. Um, Cool. One was Destiny. There is a uh, like a whatever a mod mm-hmm. that you can play Destiny on there. Um, that's what we kind of got it to start with. But then there's a whole bunch of other board games. I'll pick that um, up. That are too, uh, so. That'd be great. Some nights to where we can't yep. get out. But and I want to get. I'm trying to get Ben. That's my goal too. Yeah. To get because we got him to buy it too. So I, that's the overall goal to get that going. So I and saw then, that I meant to buy it and I totally forgot. I bet I could get the Seattle contingent in too. We could mm-hmm. do. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. And there's a. I, only thing I want to do is we have to do a little bit of experiment because there is a little bit of a learning curve, I think, to kind of figure it out. It doesn't look hard, but just to figure cool. out how to... Because in the end, you you still have to be... It's All it's going to do is show the game electronically. You still got to do the rules and move all the stuff in the room, right? It's not like a real you know computer game, right? It's just playing a board game virtually, so right. to get there. And that, and then also uh, Tabletopia, because mm-hmm. that's web-based, too. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different games in there, so... I'll report back about how that's going in a month or two. Maybe. In a future episode? Yep. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, after we play, oftentimes we'll sit down and do some hobbying. Um, Troy, I know you've been relatively busy with, with some hobby progress. 
Uh, a little bit. So the continuing saga of my Sylvaneth, right, from that I started in Christmas time, um, but then we had a little bit of interruption with Adepticon, and now I'm um, trying to get them into more of a finished state. And uh, as I move on to newer stuff coming along, or 40K, or Shadow Armageddon, <laughs> or whatever, name it, name, <laughs> name the other, yeah. or Painting a Million Zombies, one of those things. <laughs> Um, thank you. So yeah, I just been doing, so I just did a bunch of bases, uh, uh, you know, kind of nice, uh, bases for my, uh, hunters and trying to finish up some of my bigger guys. So the, uh, tree Lord and spirit of Duthu kind of thing. So working through those, getting a lot closer. The hunters are almost, almost done. I need to just finish a project. I always get projects to like 90% and then I'm like, oh, it's good enough. And <laughs> I've, I've found what really helps is I have about 17 projects now and I'll sit down and just do one for an hour and then not get back to it for five or six days <laughs> and start. So I just have so many projects yep. that I always have something I want to hobby. It's fresh and new. Like you're yep. like, oh, I got to work on that one. Oh, huh? I can paint one of these city tiles that Troy gave me. Or, oh, I can <laughs> base coat a zombie. Yeah, so. that's good. Although I get, sometimes I literally get frozen. Like I'll go down and I'm like, all right, I have an hour or two to work. And I just, and I literally like, I could do this or I could do this or I could do this. And I freeze and I literally take a half hour <laughs> to like not do anything. And then I'm like, oh, well now I don't, now, and, then, and then I lose motivation. So it's almost like I have to have it like, kind of prioritize and then i kind of fire through it but your kanban board yeah right that's what i need to revive that <laughs> i would need 15 boards i'm worried <laughs> uh although the other night i did go down there and i i said okay i have all of this stuff in battle foam all over so i condensed i bought two big plastic bins at a uh, target and i went and i took all of my vehicles all my space marines all my imperial stuff and put them in both bins and inventoried my full collection of 40k um, minis. Yeah, that's kind of the danger with the foam is you forget about it, right? Mm -hmm. It's just it's sitting on the shelf and you're like, oh, I didn't even remember that we had all this stuff, right? It's like, <laughs> and I, I found stuff that was broken and I couldn't find pieces. Yeah. So I have a little pile of, do I try to salvage these or just wait for Blood Angels to get another release where I can buy a new Corbulo and I can buy a new, you know... Um, Sanguinor, all the the special characters just wait because yeah. they will be yeah. released again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm really intrigued by Troy's next hobby project. Right, um, so we did play. When did we play? Uh, we played some uh, Age of Sigmar the other day. Oh yeah, Paul and Tom and I came over. Yeah, and we had a bunch of games. And so I wanted to really paint up because I didn't have a lot of fantasy. Uh, terrain um over the years because i hadn't played any fantasy i have a ton of <laughs> sci-fi terrain but not a lot of that so one of the things i had done is in one of these million bones uh releases from reaper over the years <laughs> it's really been i don't know it's probably been what six years of these reaper bones things right or whatever yeah uh, but one of them was this big the big huge if you remember the big huge dragons don't share diorama um has a big dragon and then has this really cool dragon or a uh, uh, castle kind of tower piece um and i'm like oh that'd be really cool to paint up um so i pull it all out and then was <laughs> thoroughly disappointed um and then i came back a little bit i kind of salvaged some stuff but i forgot like the that whatever that plastic is that the reaper bone stuff is made out of is just trash basically it's like right? soft rubber yeah it, i mean it is what it is it's i get for what it, i mean it basically makes a very resilient models right and they do that but when you're trying to 
like a multi-piece like that the amount of warping and everything else is ridiculous fit together well yeah like you had i had to go through all kinds of gyrations and i still didn't get it perfect but it's probably good enough for terrain and then the paint and just even trying to to get it to take paint right you have to kind of do a little bit to that and but in the end i mean i right now i just have it i got it primed and got a gray base on it um, which was enough to use it and then i kind of got it i got it glued together enough to that looks like that so so i think it's going to work as a train piece and it's probably going to be durable i could probably throw it against the wall and it's, <laughs> it's going to bounce back and and come back so i think in the end it'll be good so as i said i think as i set and reset my expectations I, I guess you get so used to working with the gw stuff and the hard plastics and you're just used to, and then you go to this stuff and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. I got to re tell you, re-engage what, how this stuff really works. So, um, so I built that and then I had to build the dragon too, Sarah and I, because she was all excited because she saw the dragon and we're like, all right, well, let's put that together too. So I got him sitting on the shelf waiting to either dry brush him or something for fun or something like that. But, uh, so at least I finally used something out of those bones things that i think bones three comes they're going to deliver that sometime in the next month or two and i still have i don't know why i keep ordering those things but <laughs> they look appealing they do look yeah it feels like oh i'm getting a million miniatures yeah, for a hundred bucks yeah. that i'm never going to use or take out of the box <laughs> <laughs> and when i do i'm just going to be sad about it so uh-huh. i don't know well, Tyson, I saw some tweets um, of you and Tom playing Hinterlands, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a new AOS faction that you're playing. Yeah, I, uh, I started a while back working on some Stormcast Eternals with the new book, um, starting to build an army. I don't know if it will be my 2018 tournament army or not, but... I want to get it uh, put together, so I started painting some prosecutors, probably the hardest models in the army to paint with their wings and everything. Taking a lot of time trying to do the Celestial Vindicators, um, which is a teal um, with a lot of green shade and then white and gold uh, on the shoulder pads for highlights. So it's I'm learning how difficult it is to paint white because mm-hmm. getting a, a good even white is really tough. Mm-hmm. And then any other color you put edge up against the white is really hard and then gw doesn't make the best uh teal so it's a lot of blending and wet blending and uh, it's just taken a really long time but i I think they're gonna look really good someday whenever they're they're done but i'm trying to up my hobby game a little bit with this army and not do the the uh, tricks that i used on my orcs and just kind of a lot more attention to detail and um, so it's more of a passion project yeah, yeah, and I'm afraid at some point I'm just going to rush to actually get them on the table and, and play. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, having a lot of fun slowly working on, on those guys. Well, that's it's nice uh, that you're using them in Hinterland games because then uh, you don't have to rush you know, a, a whole squad out. You can right. rush a couple models out. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then when I'm not doing that or painting the city tiles or working on Batman miniatures or working on whatever else, <laughs> I bought three of the train sets for Shadow War Armageddon. Nice. Um, some of the cool sector mechanicus, and I've been assembling those. I was showing Troy some of the – they're they're pretty modular too, so I'm thinking about taking the last set and just hacking it up to make a few different pieces and walkways like gangplanks. So um, having having some fun with that. I want to get that together. So that then we can uh, we can play some Shadow War Armageddon, 
Yeah, looks really cool. I almost bought more. I was at the store today, oh, and I had so it in good. my hand, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I have three boxes I haven't even opened and put together yet. I do not need the new furnace <laughs> thing, whatever I found. I bought, I bought a ferritonic yeah. furnace. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm gal- like, I did. The galvanator is pretty cool. Yeah. They're all, and then they had the cranes too. Yeah. I almost, and I almost bought, I'm like, I don't need, I don't need this kind of thing. Yeah. Cause I'm, I mean, I think the new train's good, but I have so much city train. I'm actually, mm-hmm. I think we're going to, I'm going to build a table out of that to kind of start with. Plus all my Mantic train. Plus, um, I can't think of the other one that I have, um, that I, that built next really cool modular city stuff. I think between all that, I can, I have plenty of stuff. To, I can probably fill in eight by four table mm-hmm. i also think doing a three by three with the space hulk train would be fun for shadow where i'm mm-hmm. getting because i think that that rule set would work well if you played with just the hallways and the the rooms mm-hmm. of a space hulk kind of set up yeah yep so that could be pretty fun to yeah that's still that's an idea that's floating around is whether we yeah to do that might be so next year adepticon that maybe maybe we'll do an alternate like we an alternate do, game on the we on, could do some four kind of Shadow War Armageddon games within the the belly of a Hulk and use our Space Hulk train segment. Yeah. You know, set up a little differently. Right, so right. Some wider spaces, combination of some of the um, the Very terrain right. we've been building, and run four Shadow War Armageddon yeah. games is a that's crazy. That'd be crazy. Oh man, <laughs> ideas. Um, so many ideas, and then buying. We talked a lot about some of the the terrain purchases I've made. Um, I don't have anything really currently pledged on Kickstarter. Um, waiting on some things to deliver. Uh, but coming up at the end of the month, cool mini or not, um, is doing another zombie side. Black Plague, Green Horde. Looks like the zombies are orcs and goblins. The mm-hmm. the early sculpts are, are pretty cool. New range of heroes. I'm sure we'll see more. A million heroes, I bet you. More heroes than you know what to do with. Yeah, you'll have so many heroes, you'll put them in a big gallon-sized Ziploc bag and just dump them on the I'll, table. Yeah, you know, I'll eBay them later. And then they'll they'll flip the game on you where you're the, you're the orcs and then you, the heroes come after you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that launches May 30th. I'm sure it'll raise a couple million dollars and be ridiculous. And somehow I'll get sucked in for another expansion that I don't need for a game I don't play often enough. Simon, take my money. Yep. What will be interesting is will they do, and I don't, because I don't know if there's anything, unlike kind of the original zombie side where there was some stuff they could, they kind of fixed and could add. My question is will they add stuff in the expansion for the base game that'll kind of be the automatic, right? It'll be like, oh, even if I don't play a lot of this expansion, I want this one super cool thing, whether it's going to be a card holder or a new piece. Of, right? I feel like they're going to add some stuff like that that you could just add into the base game that's going to make it an auto-buy for a lot yeah, of people. Right. That's, yeah. I don't know what it is, though. I need, might have to figure out what that theorize, what that'll be. But right. if they're smart, that's what they're doing, right? And they are. Because yeah. so yeah. sure they something. are smart. They, right. They're, tens of millions of dollars smart. <laughs> so f- from from the pages of kickstarter to the halls of the hyatt regency in downtown milwaukee when we get back from a short break we're going to have uh chris hoffner on with us for an interview about the upcoming nexus game fair Chris Hoffner, Chief Volunteer and Head of Operations for Nexus Game Fair. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you on in, in advance of Nexus here at the end of May. 
Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, I guess let's let's dive right in. Can can you just take some time? Tell us about Nexus Game Fair. You know where where it's come from. A little bit about the team that uh, that helps you present the show. So Nexus Game Fair, we're we're uh, in our fourth year um, this Memorial Weekend in Milwaukee, and uh, we're really stoked that uh, that we made it that far. Uh, it seems to be a milestone for for Milwaukee conventions. Um, you know, I think like a lot of shows. You know, uh, we looked at and Milwaukee it has a very storied history with gaming conventions. You know, Gen Con kind of established it as the, the pinnacle or preeminent location for, for, for Gen Con for many years. And um, and then, of course, as we all know, Gen Con outgrew the city and, and, and moved on to, to um, larger pastures. And, uh, and I think a lot of people have, have looked at that vacuum and said, you know, Milwaukee is really the home of these summer gaming conventions. And we should really try to reestablish a good con um, for people, you know, to attend. And, and that's kind of where we came in. Um, I think it was always kind of a hope of, of ours to, uh, to do it someday. We said to kind of figure out the, the right time to, um, to start this. And, uh, and so four years ago, uh, we rolled out the first Nexus game fair and, uh, you know, really happy with the turnout. Excellent. And had you guys done any, any conventions prior to Nexus or what was the, the experience level of the, the group that kind of organized this with you? There were, uh, there, were, there were four of us um, originally, uh, you know, back five years ago, that uh, kind of sat down and said, Let, let's, let's do this. And uh, you know, giving you a little bit of history on, on uh, you know, I'd say the two, uh, you know, myself and, uh, and Harold Johnson, um, kind of the two, uh, I'd say the main movers and shakers here. Harold Johnson, um, for those who don't know, was a, was a big um, TSR employee. And uh, back in the, uh, in, the, in the heyday of... Uh, of TSR and Dungeons and Dragons, he did a lot, a lot there as a as a senior manager there, and including writing quite a bit of, of material for the original Dungeons and Dragons before Wizards of the Coast came in and took over the brand. And uh, and what most people don't realize is that he was actually the director of Gen Con Milwaukee um, from the late '80s into the uh, the mid '90s. He was actually responsible. He was the idea man that uh, said we should uh, we should do Gen Con Origins. Um, he merged them, I think, initially in 88, and then again in, uh, I want to say it was 92. Um, and, and that kind of spurred Gen Con to uh, significant increases in attendance and growth as it put it on, you know, put the brand on a lot more people's radar. Um, so uh, so Harold had a lot of experience with, with that, you know, from the, that he brought from his, his, his time with Gen Con. And uh, you know, myself, um, I had uh, a much, much smaller resume, but um, I had started um, – with Gary Con at uh, Gary Con Zero, I'd attended that uh, that celebration and uh, memorial in, in Lake Geneva, and um, and that kind of grew out of out of the initial memorial um, at Gary Gygax's funeral. It grew into an annual gaming event, and uh, like so many, I, I raised my hands to uh, to assist with that convention in any way I could. And I think you know one thing led to another, and, and each year I, I had more and more responsibilities and, and became more and more of an intricate part in making that convention happen. And uh, so I stuck around there through uh, through GaryCon Five, and, uh, and that's when I kind of decided that I wanted to to move on to my lifelong uh, dream of, of running a, a large convention <laughs> in, in, in Milwaukee. So that's awesome. And, uh, that brings us to where we are today. Uh, I think, like so many. Um, I grew up, you know, I grew up a child of the, you know, the 80s and 90s going to, to Gen Con in Milwaukee. My dad taking me every year. 
and uh, he'd go to sleep in the animated room while I just ran all over the place. <laughs> nice. So, so, uh, so that was much of my childhood and much of my youth was, was saving my allowance every week of, uh, of the year so that I could afford to spend it at Gen Con. So, and, uh, so I was hoping to bring back a con to Milwaukee and give a whole new generation of gamers the opportunity to, to have that same, uh, uh, that same experience. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I mean, growing up in in Milwaukee and being a part of Gen Con um, when it was here, you know, it it was a vacuum when Gen Con left. Um, it it was you know we had to turn it into a road trip and a and a pilgrimage to get there. So having something locally is definitely um, you know high interest to us and, and our immediate group of of gamer friends. Yeah, and and it was really cool. Last year was going into the Hyatt and gaming again. That was just gave me a really weird kind of surreal experience because the last time I'd done that was Gen Con, you know, many many years ago. Um, so it was just really cool last year to be in the in the Hyatt hotel. And, and yeah, I, that was that was super awesome. I got to tell you, um, you know, being at the, those, those the airport hotels, we we spent our first two years at, at at some of the large wedding hotels at the airport, the Clarion and the Crown Plaza, and and those were great venues. Um, they they definitely met our needs. But uh, being downtown, being across the street from some some really famous restaurants, you know, having the safe house, having having quite a bit of history um, around downtown Milwaukee and Gen Con and, and the Hyatt, especially that, that was definitely uh, that was definitely really cool. We were super stoked last year. And, and the location at the Hyatt, it's fantastic. How the setup was last year, um, definitely excited to see it. You know, again this year and. Um, Within within the Hyatt, you guys have you know some really good space. I think to allow for growth. Um, what um, you know, as far as where it's come from, you said it started at some of the smaller hotels by the airport. Um, what has you know attendance over the last three years really really been like? How how has that uh, been growing as a as a convention? So um, our first year, you know, it, it's really a. Uh, um, a die roll. How many people are you going to get? Um, you know, so as, you know, Milwaukee was is even more so because I think there was a lot of um, conventions that attempted to fill the hole left by Gen Con, and they kind of came and went. And and I think I think the community, you know, was was a little, you know, hesitant. You know, it, you know, as later conventions came into play, is this going to be the one or not? So any any new convention is kind of greeted a little more slowly than than, mm-hmm. than we expected. So, but we were real thrilled the first year that you know you know so, you know we had some, some crazy estimates um, across the board amongst the staff when we when we did our pool on how many people would come, you know anywhere from three hundred to fifteen hundred people. But I was at the low end and and and, uh, and ultimately we, we hit around six hundred people, which was which was we were really happy with for our first year. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think typically shows see a, see a much smaller turnout uh, unless unless they have William Shatner show up or <laughs> some, big, uh, you know, some big superstar. Um, but um, so we were happy the first year is six hundred, and from there our you know our goal was pretty simple. You know we'd like to see you know um, let's see growth every year, and uh, you know in, in in our attendance and and you know more than just one person. So as long as we saw 10, 20, 30 percent growth every year, we were going to call that a win, and, and we've experienced that growth every year. Um, since our since our first, and uh, and we're hopefully on track this year to uh, to be uh, you know to be able to break the, the one thousand man barrier, one thousand mm-hmm. attendee barrier. So fingers crossed that that happens this year, and uh, we can really set ourselves up to be uh, you know to be the uh, the show that may uh, you know may fill that vacuum and come left behind. That's awesome. We're doing our part. We got three badges here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we appreciate every every person. <laughs> 
So, Chris, uh, can you give us a little detail about uh, attendee info? I know um, registration is is still going on as far as if people want to buy badges in advance. Um, what is the different options? I know there's a full weekend and then individual days. Is that that's right? So, um, so our standard badge is is, is um, our four day badge package, sixty bucks get you into the show and it gets you into every event we have. Um, so, um, you know, we like to stress that and remind people that fact that, um, that a lot of shows, you know, out there do charge for events and, um, and we're, you know, we, we opted for the model in which, um, we're not charging for any of our events. So whether it be a computer game, you know, which could be super cool, you know, I, you know, there's some pretty cool other games out there. I mean, I hear there's this awesome space Hulk game we have here. And <laughs> don't charge, you know, We've been told it's worth ten bucks a ticket, but, but we're not charging for that. <laughs> so, um, so as long as uh, you know, and, and that includes all of our tournaments too. We have uh, some fantastic um, uh, collectible card game tournaments, Magic the Gathering, and, and you know and a few other uh, board game tournaments with with some some great prizes. That um, again, they're all free to our attendees with a standard badge. Um, you know, I say that, and then, but there's a little caveat. There are a couple games we do we do do some mag, um, some Magic the Gathering booster drafts. And for those familiar with the, with that, you, you get to keep your cards in the booster draft. So, so you either have to buy packs from from our, uh, you know, on site or or bring your own packs if you want to play in the booster uh, the booster event. Uh, we, we don't give you those for free, but um, <laughs> but it's in the tournaments is all free, and we do give away, like I said, substantial prizes. This year we upped our game. Um, in addition to a, Catan, uh, a settlers of Catan qualifier, we also have a, an Agricola qualifier for the board game um, track. Both of those have, I think, the best prizes um, in our show. Uh, in the case of uh, Catan, you get a free trip to the Origins Game Fair. So our Catan champion goes to Origins in Columbus, Ohio for free. All expenses paid. Oh, wow. And the Agricola champion um, gets to go to Gen Con for free. All expenses paid to compete in the, uh, the U.S. National Championship there. So so we're really, really thrilled this year that we're able to offer those two, uh, those two qualifiers um, and, uh, and, and the prizes that come with them. That's excellent. So, um, so that's our standard badge, um, and uh, you know we throw in a lot of the stuff that uh, that we feel should be included. You get you know you get all the bells and whistles, some souvenir dice. We have some deluxe um, badge wallets that we give out as well. So uh, so we make sure to take care of our attendees. They get a uh, a collectible uh, stadium cup that gets some uh, dollar refills mm-hmm. of soda all weekend long in the show as well. Um, I, I you know I hate going to conventions and paying four bucks for a soda. So we did our best to uh, to make sure that our attendees can get caffeine uh, as inexpensively as possible. <laughs> so um, we typically offer a, a premier badge package as well. Those are limited in availability to uh, to some early bird registrations. So uh, so they're not available now. But but if you're if you're already planning in 2018, um, jump on the board early and and, and you can get uh, you can get our premier package, which comes with a lot more cool swag and some uh, early event registration options as well. We also have our day badges. Uh, our day badges are, are 30 bucks, half the, the price of the four-day. And that's for Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And we have a special for, for Monday Memorial Day weekend. Um, it's kind of our come-try-us-out day, family day. We have a $15 badge for Memorial Day. Cool. That's a great deal. Um, and then that is something we had talked about kind of in advance, how, how cool it is that the, the events you're not purchasing separate tickets you know w- once you've got that badge you register for the events um there's no additional charges as you're so frequently seeing in other sh- other shows you buy your badge for 60 bucks and then you're paying another 60 to get in a, a handful of uh of games so 
um, that's definitely a, a great selling point, I think, for the show. Yeah, we, that, we like that model. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the cash and carry model for tickets is, is challenging because, um, you know, it's always uh, you, know, you, have a, you have a GM that doesn't show up for an event. And you have a bunch of players standing there holding tickets thinking, I want to jump into another event. But, but the refund policy means I got to spend the next 15 minutes, you know, at registration yeah, yeah. <laughs> back or I lose it. You know, in our case, if a GM doesn't show, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's never a good thing. But, but hey, you didn't pay anything for your ticket. Just go jump in the next available game and move on. So, right, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, I know last year the in the Hyatt, you guys had a little bit more room for the uh, exhibitors for the vendor hall area. Um, is there any any kind of new folks coming in with that this year? Some of the returning local game stores and, and companies? So, yeah, we, um, we try to uh, diversify our uh, dealer hall as much as we can. Um, there are certain dealers that are, that are fantastic dealers, and I love to see them return every year. Um, Camaro Hobby Shop um, is, is, is one of those dealers. They, they always get a large spot in our, in our dealer hall. They bring a, a very wide assortment of different uh, gaming items and to the show, so we appreciate having them each year. And, um, and then we, you know, we, try to, we try to do our best, like I said, to, uh, to encourage um, – you know, some new dealers come in each year and, and uh, kind of rotate through um, what we have each year and, and not have a very, you know, consistent or constant, you know, uh, you know, dealer base. So uh, this year we have a couple, uh, you know, we have a couple of new dealers we're excited about. One of uh, the bigger ones is, is Quick Simple Fun Games, is a board game company that's coming in this year. And uh, then, uh, uh, you know, do a couple, you know, a couple special events at the, at the, at the uh, show as well. And, um, and uh, in addition to our dealer hall this year, we also expanded to include a um, what we call the first look event, which is for uh, you know for amateur and, and I guess professional board game designers to come in and demo and display their pre-publication games. Um, they bring them in and have an opportunity to kind of feature them in our board game hall and let people try them out before they uh, before they go live. So kind of thrilled about that as well. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, and our uh, our friends from Anvil Eight will be there again. We get, we got those guys coming up from Chicago. And yeah, so that'll be cool. Yeah, we we told them that's part of your regular con circuit, guys, at at Milwaukee. So, um, and then I know I think you guys have a few artists in any any authors, artists, or you know other kind of gaming industry folks in this year. So each year we uh, we do feature uh, uh, quite a few special guests that we invite to the show. And, um, and so each year we try to bring an assortment of, you know, it's always good to see some of the, some of our great guests come back each year. And, uh, but each year we try to do our best to also bring in some, some new guests new to the show. And, uh, so this year we have uh, a couple great new guests. We have, uh, Robert Aducci is a, a first time attendee this year, first time special guest. He's, uh, one of the uh, Adventure League admins, um, which is the D&D Adventures League organized play program. And uh, he's coming in to run a few special events for us for that program. We're, we're stoked about that. And uh, in addition, we have uh, a couple uh, board game designers as well coming in this year. Uh, and uh, that, that we're you know, happy to see Keith Mateja. And I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, and then uh, we have the author of the, the Chill RPG, Matt McFarland's coming in as well. Oh, cool. And, uh, and then also uh, the new Top Secret uh, New World Order RPG is coming out. The, uh, we have one of the authors of that game, Chad Parrish, coming in, one of our special guests this year as well. 
So, uh, so we're happy to see those those new guests, and, and, and as well as a host of returning special guests that uh, love our show and, and love to keep coming each year. Excellent. Um, now, I know we talked about uh, definitely some of the the new things at this year's show. You guys do have the Hyatt lined up for is it the the next couple of years? Any any other plans with um, your space there with the the convention as as it grows for the future? Yes. So. Um, so we are confirmed. Um, obviously, for this year, we're going to be at the Hyatt Regency in Milwaukee, and uh, and next year in 2018, we are booked again at the Hyatt Regency for for Memorial Day weekend, and, and continuing in that plan. And uh, we'll release our, our 2019 plans uh, hopefully later this year. Great, awesome. So, Chris, uh, first and foremost, want to thank you for being on our, our show tonight. Um, give you a chance to share anything else about Nexus or anything that's important for uh, attendees or people planning on coming down to check it out that they should know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, definitely want to encourage people to come try us out. Uh, if you have yet to have a customer, definitely try, uh, you know, pride ourselves on, on, on running a smooth show. And, um, and, and running a great show with, with plenty of things for everybody, um, between some, some cool computer games, some, some cool miniature games. We have a, a fantastic board game hall with a uh, free board game library, nearly 2,000 different games. Uh, so pretty much something for everybody. Um, our deer hall is, uh, is definitely a good place to spend some time during your downtime. We have uh, an all-star lineup of VIPs, including some seminars and uh, workshops as well. And Saturday we have our, our cosplay uh, contest as well. So, so uh, cosplay is, is, is of course welcome throughout the show. But if you come on Saturday, we have a couple of special events going on related to cosplay that'll be great as well. I'll bring my slave hey, layout hey, outfit. Hey, <laughs> I'll bring my slave layout <laughs> outfit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, I want to thank the you guys at the base of the death for for having us on on, on the show today. Uh, always have a soft spot for uh, for. Uh, Space Hulk and, and particularly the Warhammer 40K, uh, you know, uh, line of events. I was, I spent, uh, you know, one of my early, uh, earliest hobby businesses was uh, was I, I used, used to buy and sell uh, Warhammer stuff, and, and I got into 40K and played it for many, many years. It was it was a great game. I loved it a lot. Um, it's uh, but it's one of those games you kind of have to. Unfortunately, when I got a bunch of little kids running around, I couldn't keep <laughs> the models around. They're all hidden. <laughs> Yeah, models yeah. have a. I wait till my kids are a little older before I resume my <laughs> career. And, and so I was a blood angel player, so uh, oh. they're, they're currently in retirement, not in the closet until my little kids are a little older and, and can manage to. But but definitely have a soft spot for you guys. So I'm glad to have you guys come to the show and had had me come to our show. Glad you had me on your show. So yeah, we're we're very excited. Um, Gonna gonna be there the uh, the whole weekend and looking forward to getting out there and, and doing some gaming and hopefully get a chance to buy you a beer when we're <laughs> when we're down there. So thank you very much, Chris. We really okay. appreciate your uh, your coming on and joining us tonight. Okay, good to be here. Thanks, Tim. Welcome back. Uh, Hopefully you guys all enjoyed us um, pelting Chris Hoffner with questions about Nexus Game Fair. Um, rather than the, the usual singular main topic, though, we each have kind of a pressing question about the, the gaming industry or things coming down the pipeline uh, and thought it would be a good chance to 
kind of send it around the table, give each of us a chance to take care of that pressing concern and immediate issue uh, about the the current state of affairs in the basement of death and the playing and slaying cast. So, Josh, I, I know you've got something weighing on your mind. Yeah, so for sure. Um, and and Troy and, and us were talking uh, about uh, 8th edition 40K uh, earlier, and we've been getting little updates from uh, a, a text group that we're in from you know somebody <laughs> maybe in this room. Um, but yeah, no, like... I. I get the feeling that um, they used a little bit of AOS um, to or a lot or, or a lot of bit of AOS, <laughs> um, you know, kind of mechanics and, and thought process and and design, I guess. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm just interested in a little bit more, like uh, where they're going with things and and where you see Eighth Edition in the future, or what the what the end goal is going to look like. Yeah, so so I mean, I'll I'll start in Troy. I know yep. I've been daily uh, <laughs> patrolling the internet for the first sign of the community team's release around Troy's bathroom time. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> so each each morning I get on Twitter and I look for the the community team um, to post their stuff or Facebook groups or you know other places. Um, and what what's really cool they they took a lot from Age of Sigmar. Um, general concepts the the idea that the game should be faster more brutal heavier casualties you don't have these close combats that last five turns with very little damage being traded they they seem to have made it more efficient of a game um and with the limited you know rules we have seen and teased information they've shown they've they've taken into account the fact that things die and it's a warfare, um, and it, it should be less on the table uh, by the, the end <laughs> yeah. end of the game. Um, and, and I mean, just some some very quick kind of glimpses into the the main changes: um, adding wounds to vehicles, getting rid of armor value and mm-hmm. armor penetration on uh, like penetration rolls for if it's a glancing hit or a penetrating hit and that changing the damage. So dreadnoughts will have a wound profile and a toughness. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting almost when you step back a little bit from just a game design perspective, I think it's going to be interesting how much that just some of those changes are going to simplify the rule set. Right. So I think it give them kudos, right. To really kind of taking a step back and looking about how, how can we, you know, kind of keep the game intact. Right. Cause I think everything we've seen, I'm really encouraged that, you know the differences between it, you know it's not just AOS with bolters, right? They are make there are some changes there mm-hmm. to make it still feel like 40k and and what do you you know and just in terms of how the weapons work and things like that. But you know, overarching things like you talked about, like that are the same as Age of Sigmar, like okay, everything has wounds, kind of all the weapons work the same, right? Those things are going to just the amount of pages that those rip out of the rulebook mm-hmm. are are going to be great, right? Because as soon as you can simplify. Then you can add the complexity and the strategic part in in different part of the rule set, right? And not have this, you know, eighty. If you think that section about all the different troop types, like infantry works this way, jump infantry works another way, you know, it's gone. Super you, right. You that's all a, gone. Super heavies work one way. Monsters, right? Yeah. All that was crazy, and nobody ever got the rules. I don't think anybody ever got the rules right. Right? It was well. That that's why a uh, uh, eighteen hundred point eighteen fifty whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, tournament game took three hours. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Um, now, theoretically, <coughs> less than two hours, hour and a half, you can get a, a tournament style game in, and um, less asking for a judge, more rolling dice. Right. You're less not having to look up tables for. Flipping, yeah, flipping is that to a hit or page yeah. two fourteen for a USR when now it's right on your data slate. Right. The keyword idea. Um, squads can split fire combat uh charging you have a threat range now base to base is now one inch mm-hmm. threat range um can shoot overwatch at things charging so they preserve some rules but um they have manipulated enough based on in essence age of sigmar became a year-long yeah, experiment beta <laughs> test yeah uh you know an open beta for some of the rules that we're seeing teased with 40k um and it, also, you're going to get a ton of cross-pollination. Just now at the end of, not the end of Age mm. of Sigmar, but the end of this last year, you started to see a lot of the tournament scene of 40K players that were getting weary and tired and yep. being quite successful playing Age of Sigmar. Yep. And you, you you know, Reese from Frontline, who was heavy in the, the working with the, the ITC guys, were heavy in the development of the new 40K. Yep. Um, but you saw Reese and some of those guys playing Age of Sigmar. You saw Paul Murphy from... Forge the narrative, yeah. getting in the Age of Sigmar. You see this cross-pollination of 40K guys coming over. I think you're also going to see a fair amount of Age of Sigmar players that now see 40K as significantly more accessible, and you're going to have some of those guys building and, mm-hmm. and playing their, their 40K 8th edition armies. For and sure. I, yeah. I, yep. it, I'm, I'm really excited. I It's purely speculation, but my guess is June 16th, 17th, yep. we see... Uh, eighth edition yeah and i was in the hobby town today and the the owner there he just we were talking a lot about eighth edition and stuff like that and he just kind of said yeah i'm pretty sure it's june and i imagine he may have already seen pre-order stuff i don't know you know i i, I don't think that until gw on it but you know they probably leave him some hints and maybe his rep did or at least yeah what's coming down the pipe so um yeah i think june is going to be is a really good really good it's not even a guess i think it's a you know pretty much for sure at this point Um, sources you know sources are starting to think that that's the next the june white dwarf will have the 40k announcement and info and pre-release now the and we only saw part of it the the one big surprise i shouldn't say there's a lot of different people are surprised by different things right the one thing i was surprised about was the the elimination of formations i really thought we would see formations formations move ahead um I can understand it just from what they've hinted at in terms of having a bunch of different standard ways to construct your army. It sounds like there's going to be eight or nine mm-hmm. different things, yeah. detachments. Up. So I can understand why, they again, from a simplicity standpoint, it makes sense. But it just felt like formations were going to stay. Like that was the way they were going to go. You know, Because it kind of like the battalions and things you see in Age of Sigmar seemed like they were uh, equivalent to what we were going to see. So that was the only thing that really surprised me when I saw them. I mean, not in an even good or bad way. I mean, I've tried not to be very kind of react in any, even, any kind of way to these until you see the rules. I don't think you can really yeah. judge. And yeah. You hear that internet? You really can't. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't get all bent out of shape until you well, actually see to, the rules. To right? be fair, there hasn't been a lot of um, aggressive no, uh, anti-8th edition yeah, talk. Yeah, right? It's been feedback very is positive, amazing. which is crazy from the internet that you're getting so much positive feedback but that that really shows you what this community team from mm-hmm. games workshop has done in the last year yep to to connect with people that you know the tournament organizers the the competitive players the narrative players bringing people in to work on it 
Um, and that, that approach that they used with Sigmar, seeing it used in the development of 8th edition 40K, it's an exciting time to be a, a Games Workshop fan, player, yep. um, you know, hobbyist. So. Yeah, the, again, the new GW... I think yes. they've done a really nice job. Again, what we're seeing, we're like daily, we're seeing daily updates on the, this. That's unheard of, right? And there was no time ever in the glory, even the glory days of DW yeah. that you were getting yeah. daily updates of of new rule sets or and new additions and things you get like a that. splash in a white dwarf. Now it's like a, a hype train that just keeps, <laughs> yep. you know, the hype victory tour. Yeah. And it, but it has been amazing. Like the, even the, the turn of the, the feedback, right? And I think, Again, kudos again to the the community team for. I think like when you put a face on it, right, it becomes harder for people to just be, you know, overly Super negative. Negative because yeah. it's not like I'm just yelling into the void at, right. at GW this big huge thing. No, it's Rob or Andy, right? They you know the people who are on the other end, and it's a little hard. You know, yeah, people are a little nicer, right? <laughs> it's more well, of like even though it's internet, it's a little bit more face to face, right? Well, if, like, if something was going to break the internet, it was going to be the announcement that Death Stars are gone. Yeah, <laughs> independent characters can't join units, <laughs> and half of competitive tournament lists are no longer, uh, you know, a thing when you when yep. you take that away. So if that didn't break the internet drop the rules let's see these 12 pages they're talking about and um and have some fun yep and did you see carl's um carl tuttle's on facebook today he was kind of like well it looks like there are no more independent characters, <laughs> characters. i'm kind of sad about yeah. that it's <laughs> <laughs> um, good it was good i think that's we're pretty good for 40k so moving back to age of sigmar we talked a little bit earlier about this hinterlands rule set. Um, and it's something that you guys sent to me and sent in my email and I opened it and I skimmed it, but I really haven't dug in yet. So can you guys kind of, what's the, the, the call of this hinterlands rule set and the skirmish rules for AOS? Why would you play it? Um, and maybe some like tips, like how would you get into it? Well, what's the way to go through it? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, the accessibility, um, to mm-hmm. play a game of hinterlands, you have so each each unit in Age of Sigmar, a War Scroll has a number of models and a point value if you use match play. So let's use the example of um, Savage Orcs. You have ten for a unit at a hundred points. Well, Hinterlands gives you 150 gold coins, aka points, which can be used to purchase individual models. So if you wanted to use a Savage Orc in your uh, Hinterlands Warband, you would take the hundred divide it by the 10 and each would cost 10 gold and that model becomes part of your war band you can't have more than it's i think 15 or 18 models mm-hmm. to make up a war band so you can't mm-hmm. spam a lot of little night goblins and have 20 of them um, but you then can purchase heroes as well so a hero where it might be 160 points and have seven or eight wounds you have the points cost and you have the wounds total so your heroes go from seven wounds to four wounds. Or, and I think the one restriction they have on heroes is it, it can't be a named character. Yeah, so no no named characters, no BMS, so no huge monsters right. um, to keep it <clears throat> mainly infantry, some cavalry. Right. Um, you assemble your warband, and then you, you play on a smaller table. You know, have, heavy terrain is, is often best, mm-hmm. but each model acts individually. So it has that skirmish style of that cinematic kind of feel to the game where, um, you know, you name your guys and it's progressive. So as they survive their inexperience, 
you're in gold for your warband to purchase new things to add in. Um, and there's mechanics they've built in. So if you have a warband that's just starting out and you're playing a, a group that's been playing a couple games, you earn an underdog gambit. You roll on a table and get a benefit for that game, if not two benefits, to use to help you as the underdog. Um, cool. And a so lot about, of them are really worthwhile, too. So it's not like, yeah. oh, you get this little whatever. It's like, hey, you get a, a whole extra movement at the beginning or you get you know, something that's seriously worthwhile in the, in the game. So. so what about magic, or is that more tied to the heroes and so so heroes still have the ability to cast spells they did add um a rule of three so sigmar has the rule of one where you can only do one spell once well if it would target multiple units they limit it to three units so you couldn't target a whole enemy warband you could target two or three models Models. with it um and casters have their available spells they still have their hero phase you have your hero phase where you would do whatever your hero or a wizard can do, um, cast your spell, and then you know go from there. They they add some unique command abilities for each faction. Um, so you, the leader of your warband can always have something to do that's similar to a command ability. But what's what's really great is it's fan generated. There's a guy, um, he's at Deviant Tactics on Twitter. Um, Sam, he goes by Bottle. I don't know if that's his last name or what. He's been on a few podcasts, but he created in the production value on the the rule set. It looks awesome. Yeah, and, it looks like a like an actual <laughs> GW type thing. Yeah, um, it's great. And uh, what's what's really cool, and I'm I'm excited. It, they there's a one page spread in the most recent White Dwarf announcing AOS Skirmish, an expansion for Age of Sigmar. And this week, uh, at the time of recording, mm-hmm. on Warhammer TV, um, Ben Johnson from the studio team and Sam are playing Order vs. Destruction AOS Skirmish and answering questions. So they brought Sam into the studio for Warhammer TV to announce this AOS Skirmish. So I don't know how much of it's going to be um, pure speculation as Hinterlands is getting a actual GW release in some capacity. Maybe. Um, but it looks like the community online is, is really buying in and there's, there's a lot of people interested in, in playing AOS in an even more accessible small skirmish format. The battle plans are super fun. Yeah. 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 Well, you can see GW, right? They may just make it a web only, like bring it underneath the Warhammer community umbrella, right? Kind of like they're doing with the scroll builder, builder. right? So that seems like they have a precedent for that. So there's some. Cool. Um, but yeah, it would it would be fun for you to get a get a warband. Yeah, well, and it's right. It's like I, I guess the yeah barrier to entry is like zero, right? It's like a model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean one of one of my warbands is four models or five models. Oh. Uh, Tom has his Iron Jaws. I think he has seven different orcs. So um, he's going to put his Bloodbound like Blood Warriors together mm-hmm. just so he can run like a Bloodbound um, warband. Right. But we want to mix up a few because it would be fun to do kind of a a league or even a day mm-hmm. where you play a kind of progressive awesome. ladder uh, campaign. Yeah, and if they're so quick, right, you can play a whole half a dozen games in an afternoon almost. Right. Yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. And I get mean, a couple da- couple tables going if we can get enough people. Yeah. So cool. Really fun. Really accessible. Um, and and highly recommend looking for it. You can get the download on the tga.com if you set up a, a profile that's the grandalliance.com it's kind of a great web community of mm. um 
of Age of Sigmar players, tournament organizers, um, and they have the the full PDF there for download. So maybe that's the end. Hopefully, might be the end of our miniature talk. We've been pretty miniature heavy. Well, <laughs> but I think Ty, you actually have a, a RPG kind of question. Yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of new content out there um, on TV. So recently, American Gods just started on the uh, Stars Network. The Expanse season two is out there. Um, there was news end of last year about Pat Rothfuss and Lin Manuel Miranda's. Uh, adapting the King Killer Chronicles, but it got me thinking: What are some um, settings, you know, uh, IPs that are out there that would make for a really good RPG uh, setting, or, or even a full RPG game? So I wanted to kick that out to you guys to see if there is any worlds you want to play in, or what system, you know, what what setting would you like to adapt in your Savage Worlds or your homebrew D and D, you know, campaign? Something that kind of jumps out to me. Um is sort of a Greek mythology, um, I, I guess maybe like uh, Hercules or Xena type. And I don't know if there's something like that out there. Maybe there is, and I just I've never heard of it. But um, that kind of setting, I think, would lend itself to a uh, an RPG pretty well. But yeah, so you so you could dig up. I think there were actually <laughs> like on the old TV, based on the old TV series. I think who was it? I remember who did it. Um, some, I think somebody did have a Hercules and Xena um, role-playing game out there. Oh, really? Um, I'd have to do a would little Kevin, research. Would Kevin Sorbo come and sit at the table with you? And <laughs> yeah. Play? Yep. And, he and Lucy Lawless. And Lucy Lawless. <laughs> yep. I, I wish I could remember what company it was that threw it out there. Um, but yeah, they, they, this is probably, boy, 20 years ago now, right? Probably pretty close. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be sort of D&D-ish, but, yep. you know, with like Greek gods. I don't know. I yeah, but that, that's always kind of been in the back of my mind. Like that would be cool. So, um, the thing that jumped to mind immediately was the any of the either of the Joe Abercrombie universes. So mm-hmm. either the Blade itself, um, right? That's yeah, so for rich. The, the first Law trilogy. Yeah. Um, then Heroes and Red Country okay. and Best Served Cold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tremendous gritty dark fantasy. Yeah, or, or even again the same would be the Shattered Sea, which is his. Uh, newer series, which is uh, half a king, half a world, half a war. More young um, adult fiction, but I, I appeals kind of, to his fans. Uh, yeah, I don't, as I got through that series, I have a harder time thinking it's young adult. So it's, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he, it's in the end, it's a lot of Joe Abercrombie sneaks through. So I'm, that was kind of funny as I listened. I'm like, oh, these are supposed to be young adult. I, I don't the know. The main what character that starts as a teenager. I mean, ultimately, right? right? Yeah. So the first book, it's funny, the first book has a mm-hmm. much more. We're going a little bit on a book review, but um, <laughs> the first book is is a little bit more young adult, yeah. but the second and third didn't come on. Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's a touch of romance in the second book, but I know. But I, I, think, still... I think where you're going, he, he crafts such a detailed, uh, visceral world that it would be fun to play in mm-hmm. and the, to see some of the characters as NPCs and, and ultimately yep. the archetypes, you know, there's yep. the classic, the Northmen with their Viking style war based uh culture yep. and the the way the Empire, you know, reminds me oh. of British. Um, yep. And then you had the South, um Yeah. I can't think of the name of that, the guys in the South. Um right, and they were more right. So it's almost like you could literally take just like one scene out of any of those books and you'd have enough to like 
base a whole campaign on, right? You're like, oh, we're just going to explore the South. Well, the, and the, the whole concept of heroes, you know, oh. it's a band of mercenary kind of yep. Northmen. So it's, yeah, a phenomenal setting. I um, I would love to to play in that mm. world. That that Arathfis, uh King Killer, mm. just because you talk about richness of the world. Yep. Um, but the one that got me thinking a lot about this is American Gods and Neil Gaiman's yep. kind of world that he crafts in American Gods, which is our world with just a layer right underneath it that crosses yep. over sometimes with the mythology of some of the deities and Odin and um, Anansi and those characters. And then also in, in um, Neverwhere, you know, in London mm-hmm. where the guy is, he's a boring average Joe in London and one day he falls between and he's in this kind of shadow world underneath London with these crazy characters. Yeah, and um, that would be fun to do kind of a, a modern day um, game and yep. game and verse. Oh yeah. And I think it, and you think again, it'd be cool. I think it, it could stand alone. Right. But I, the wonder what I see it as, right. Is could you use like a world of darkness type rule set? It feels like that yeah. might be a good base to, to do some of that stuff. Um, yeah, American American gods would be amazing, right? It would be really cool. It, but I think it would be a, a trick, right, to get the right, how do you do the right power level? How do you figure mm-hmm. out the thing and, and, and get that, well, that? So That's part of it that, that's really cool is right. in his books and in his stories, you have a very average person that comes in contact with these very above average powerful mm-hmm. beings and how they relate through their wits and through their, you know, their ability to, to navigate that kind of dangerous water. Um, and then it would be, I, I mentioned it, but the expanse mm-hmm. Leviathan wakes and yep. that, that book series lend itself to this amazing, some of the best sci-fi, yep. uh, that's been done on TV in, in recent, recent years. Yeah. And the board, there's a board game coming out, Gen Kanish, I believe. Is that uh, um, Stegmeier? No, it is, no. um, Engelstein. Engelstein. I can't think who's the, I don't know who public is it. I don't know who's publishing, but, um, yeah, Engelstein has worked on and. The rumor, I think D6 Generation had a review of it. He was on there and talked about it. And so it seems a little bit like a Twilight Struggle type engine underneath. So it sounds interesting. It sounds like a good fit. Um, but yeah, besides that, though, from an RPG side, again, such a rich world. So many good. Again, if you watch a TV show or have read the books, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to see how that could Near future could space go. with <laughs> um, not a lot of alien presence, right. but... Um, what Earth does when it starts to colonize the stars and how the factions align is is very interesting. And um, my brother and I have been talking about a near future Savage Worlds game that we kind of want to start up where it would be not quite space, but kind of you see the civilizations, how it starts to fracture as Earth is a scarcity of resources and what happens. And that the political aspect and the expanse would make for fun role playing and yeah and the, that's what the question would be do you do would it be a savage world's kind of more i'll call it a tactical role playing rule set or do you do maybe fate something pushing yeah. more the role playing side of it yeah. you know a little bit more maybe a, a fate engine or something like that might make make a little more sense and maybe that's a whole nother uh show topic when we can talk about different <laughs> rpg engines and things like that so um but yeah it's that I, yeah i think the expanse would be uh, amazing to get through and so and these are all books this is we just slipped in a little bit of a book review to like <laughs> so if you have not read american gods abercrombie expanse king killer 
do that we'll talk in before well, next in, episode. in the show notes we'll we'll put up um the authors and the, the titles because this is kind of the the basement of death reading list yeah exactly that's fine if we if we were to teach a, a college course on modern uh fiction the mandatory reading the syllabus yep. <laughs> yeah and i think i american gods is a, a, an amazing book and one of my top books personally for, you know, and um it there's a section of that book, I don't know if it, that takes place in Wisconsin, again, because Neil Gaiman, I lived in Wisconsin for many years. Um, and so I lit- I listened to the audiobook of that stretch of where they're going from. They go from Chicago to Spring Green, Wisconsin, as we were driving from Milwaukee to Spring Green. <laughs> surreal. It was an absolute <laughs> surreal experience. And we went to the House on the Rock, which also plays a big... Yeah, a big it was It was absolutely surreal because you get this weirdness of where fiction and reality are kind of like bled together in a little bit so am, am i in this book right now <laughs> yeah right exactly and his description of the house in the rock if you've never been to the house in rock in wisconsin it that is a surreal place to start with so um, just just amazing so there there's our pitch for american gods i have not watched the tv show yet i am excited to see if they early really reviews are strong it's yep. getting very good. But I want to know if they went to House on the Rock in the TV show. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, Troy also started working for TravelWisconsin.com. Yeah. So just, you know, him and Jordy Nelson. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that I think that was, that was some really great discussion. Um, what we will get into next is the Kickstarter-backed game by Troy Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> Iris. All right, it is time for Neil from Work's favorite segment of the new show. <laughs> Play it or slay it. Neil Troy, from, tell us. <laughs> Troy, please tell us about tonight's uh, game, Iris. All right, so I foreshadowed a little bit in uh, our what we were playing segment. Um, so we're going to talk about Iris. So this is uh, a cooperative micro game. So it is a micro game. It's um, just a little a little card game with some counters is what you get um i'm calling it a kickstarter success story uh this kickstarter was something i i can't remember where i saw it it was either again i randomly ran into something on twitter or weren't going around on kickstarter and they said hey are you interested in this thing and i clicked over and uh, looked at the description it's a cooperative game it's basically about clones it, each card basically you have four locations and then you have like uh, 16 or 18 cards that are these different clones and they is, there's basically letters on the clones they're human clones and they're uh, human clones but they don't like being clones and they're going to uprise basically these clones are going to uprise and kill all the people at some point so it's uh, like Blade Runner it's kind of like Blade Runner right so it has that so it had an interesting premise in terms of keeping that in the end it's a just a cooperative memorization game because basically these clone cards are basically they're all face down they're not really face down but two sides the the side that is down has the letters on it and it's either a or m b o um and basically what you're trying to do is not and you end up with putting the different cards at each location and what you don't want to do is spell out certain words so you don't want to have clones that spell out bomb or ammo or mob because what each of those things will do different things to the population at the at the planets, um, so really interesting in terms of 
as you're playing, you basically can look at the cards, some of the cards to see what, what are the letters on the back, um, but not all of them. So it's kind of like you have limited information and you just have to make decisions limiting your, your exposure. And so it's very winnable. I mean, like if you really think about it and if your luck goes your way, there's a little bit of luck in which cards end up where, um, but it's more of a puzzle. And, you know, in terms of if each person can remember, okay, did we, was that M in that alone or was it in that row? to get there and do we put our population there and there's certain cards that give you the ability to move some population if you know oh you know this planet is going to go nuclear let's get the people off of it do that so i super simple game really interesting engaging something again i threw out at work got some non-gamers to play pretty easy to grab how, how many people does it play uh you can do like four but okay. in the end you could it's really totally cooperative so you could have more people kind of hanging out and helping you kind of things or less um it's also solo i played it solo uh, very very doable. So, what about what about production value and price point on it? All right, so that so I would say it is like I was talking about uh, as a Kickstarter um, success story. So this was a whole twelve dollars, twelve bucks, okay, twelve bucks. Um, so it's I a think large it was, pizza. Yeah, so it was like twelve bucks, maybe fifteen to sixteen with shipping, right? Um, I think it was. I think Tip it was in delivery. Okay, right. so I think it's it was one in for night, Don't order out. Yep. Um, I would say the art is. Maybe not what you're getting from Fantasy Flight, but maybe what you're getting from, give me one, like Real Grand. Okay, some of that kind of stuff. Oh, Real Grand does some great art. Somewhat, but there's also older games that, you know. Right. That no, kind of, ha- you know what I mean? That, so definitely professional. Definitely not, you know, cut art, cut and paste art or clip art kind of stuff. Um, professional. Good job. And then, and I think a good solid gameplay. Like a, the rules were solid. One page rule set pull at that uh and little counters just normal um chit counters you know cardboard counters you put on there so not huge production value um and then just in a really kind of a i want to say cheap but very just a plastic card case for the whatever you have 20 25 cards that end up in the stack so but for 15 bucks um and this was a kickstarter that um uh, went out in this was in march um i think it ended in let me see if i can get the actual date March of this year. March of this year. Wow. So let me get uh, let me get a real. I want to give him give him credit here. So campaign ended on February twelfth. Okay. And I had it in my hands in April. Wow. wow. So I mean that That's was pretty quick, right? So he, I mean, he had the game Does it basically. Say how, how many backers ended up? Um, I think it was just a couple hundred. Okay. But it definitely falls into that that pocket game type model, right? You can throw it in in your bag or throw it in your pocket. You know, you're standing in line yep. waiting for something, or you're, uh, you know, at work and you get some time over lunch or you know, whatever. You know, it falls into that kind of hey, quick fifteen minute, twenty minute. Yeah, and it, it plays in like fifteen twenty minutes, right? Like, even if you take a long, even if analysis paralysis, you're not spending more than twenty minutes on this to right. see how things are going. So. So I, th- I think if it's that that nice little niche, you know, pocket game, and seems fun enough, you know, for yep. And it's uh, Captive Publishing, which is really uh, Dustin Vance. I think it's just like one guy. He kind of does one one game like this or so a year. Uh, that it seems like he's put out there. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm I was super happy. One with how fast it got turned around and in my hand, um, and then I'm I've been very happy. Got an enjoyable. 
you know, I definitely got my 15 bucks worth out of it already, probably. Sure. Um, even if I didn't play it again, but I think I'm, it's going to be something that's just going to stay in my bag and I'm going to pull it out and, and throw it down and so cool. So cool. Yeah. So I'm going to play it. Playing it. Troy's playing it. He already backed it. Yep. Now he's playing it. Josh. Um, so all the, all the artwork seemed very similar. Like all the, mm-hmm. all the clones, none of them, like they're, they were all bald. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I felt like the production value could have been a little bit higher. Um, it, for what it is, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm probably going to slay it. Like I'm, it, it wouldn't be something I would buy. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll say slay it. Name it altered carbon. <laughs> like the, the the book by Richard K. Morgan, um, and and I'm more on board. It, it sounds interesting though, uh, cool concept, um, and and for the cost of one large pizza from Pizza Hut, I'll play it. Sweet, cool. That's it. Awesome. So, I guess you know really what we uh, what we have kind of coming down the pipeline are a couple of conventions that we'll be at. Um, Coming up very soon here at, at the end of May, uh, Nexus Game Fair here in Milwaukee, a great local convention. We spent a, a quite a bit of time talking with Chris Hoffner um, on tonight's episode. Um, at Nexus, come and find us. You guys want to talk a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm running uh, on Saturday, I'm running two sessions of Zombieside Black Plague. Uh, it's a custom scenario. Uh, I'm hoping to have all the 3D terrain done. Um, hustling to get that all finished up, and and the guys here are, are going to help me with some painted zombies because uh, I'm falling behind on on my painting stuff. So, um, but yeah, uh, Troy, you want to chat about yeah? Well, Space Hulk? It, it wouldn't be a convention if we weren't hobbying up to the last second to make sure things are going <laughs> good. So, um, but I probably we are running Space Hulk. Uh, Friday night and then two times on Saturday. So it, this is the other place that you can, besides Adepticon, that you can find us in the Space Hulk game. Uh, since we are not at Gen Con this year, uh, we had enough of their craziness um, for a while. So <laughs> so I think that'll be fun. Um, I think there, are still, there still were some slots maybe Saturday morning as of this, which is kind of, what are we, first week of May. Um and check out, I mean, there's lots of events. When you hear this yet, there are probably still events available on Nexus. Go ahead. Registration's open. There is stuff. There's yep. the silent auction. There's um, quite quite a bit. I mean, Chris talked about a lot. Um, so definitely, if, if you failed to listen closely to the interview, go back and listen now because there's a lot at the convention. But the B-O-B- BOD will be there in force. For sure. Um, Sunday uh, of <laughs> Nexus... <laughs> Happens to be the Gen Con event registration. Oh, that's right, yeah. So we'll have to get creative and um, our our planning and coordinating our, our carts to <laughs> hit submit and have good solid yep. Wi-Fi uh, Sunday morning as we wake up from probably a um, sizable hangover <laughs> uh, from Saturday night with the Envelade crew. Yeah, I think if we do it right, all we have to do is open our phones up and press click click right and then cry afterward (laughs) um so troy you've got a couple reminders right yep so just a reminder so if you are still listening to this on the old games booze and art of uh rss feed this probably will be the last one or 
if you didn't find us there, it's because I turned it off and <laughs> and put there. So, but um, if if uh, so, remember to come over and please find us on the play it or playing and slaying um, uh, feed um, because we're going to turn that off on the old one. So, and and along the same lines, please find us on Twitter at play and slaying show at uh, and at playing and slaying on Facebook, which ties in nicely to our big final announcement of our contest winner drum roll put in the drum roll great drum roll the winner is eric c so eric we will find you we have skills (laughs) and the internet and we will figure out how you would like to receive the copy of frontline no comrades so thank you everyone that did uh like like the page um, share the share the post. Follow us on on Twitter. We appreciate the support. Um, but Eric, congratulations! You have a brand new copy of Frontline No Comrades from Anvil Eight Games, and we'll play it with you. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, so, without further ado, let's keep the dice rolling. The drinks on ice, and no matter what, guys, keep playing and slaying. That's what you call it when it's like not used. It's B-roll, B-roll. right? We'll need that for the. Is that anything like a B-hole? Uh, a little different, man. A Wait. little different. Mm-hmm. You got to wipe those. B-rolls are just extra footage that you end up with. That we'll have for the reality TV show. Yeah, and then we'll get one of those clappers. So when you go three, two, to sync up our sound. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what those are for. You know that, right? The no. clapboards? I had no idea. On a, what? what? No. Because audio and video are recorded separately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need a cue to sync up your sound with your your visual. So they use the clapboard because then when you see it hit, the impact both makes the sound, oh. the clack, and you see so the image of them sync. hitting. Uh-huh. So that becomes your sync point for your audio and your visual. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. Crazy, right? <laughs>